0: Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. I'm looking at an editorial in today's Times, headline, Declassify the Senate Torture Report, that's what the Times says. Very fortuitous timing for what we're about to now discuss. Dr. James Mitchell has just published a book. It's titled Enhanced Interrogation Inside the Minds and Motives of the Islamic Terrorist's trying to destroy America. You should know that Jim Mitchell spent 22 years in the Air Force. He retired as a lieutenant colonel from 2002 through 2009. He was involved in the development of CIA enhanced interrogation techniques. He himself was an interrogator of the highest value detainees and about him you've probably heard a certain narrative. And the narrative goes something like this, that the CIA was clueless post-September 11 as to what to do with high-value detainees, that they turned to Dr. Mitchell and a colleague of his, Dr. Lesson. They had no idea, these two, what they were doing. They were paid tens of millions of dollars. They engaged in torture, and they had nothing to show for it in terms of actionable intelligence. At least that's the narrative. And if that narrative is something with which you're familiar, you probably heard it from Diane Feinstein's committee report. This is Jim Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for reading the book. I read it cover to cover. I can't say I enjoyed it because it, it was a grisly read. You put it all out.
1: Yeah, my my goal was simply to tell the truth. And I appreciate being on <laughs>
0: I noticed that uh, one of the blurbs that you received, and I spent some time with him recently, came from General Hayden, who said, facts matter. Why did you write it, though? Because to to write this book was to relive all of the nitty-gritty of what had to have been a very unpleasant on a day-to-day basis. Frankly, as I was reading your book, I'm thinking, you know who got tortured? Jim Mitchell got tortured. And so, too, did Bruce Jessen, because they had to be in the room and engage in these techniques.
1: Well, one of the interesting things about the way Feinstein uh, framed her report is she makes it sound like those folks were exposed to enhanced interrogation the entire time they were held. But, in fact, Abu Zubaydah was held 1,623 days by the CIA before President Bush moved him to Guantanamo. Of that, only 14 days were enhanced interrogation. That's less than 1%. And the same thing with Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the the, uh, mastermind of the 9-11 attack, probably the most brutal butcher I've ever encountered. He was held 1,285 days, of which, with uh, Dr. Justin and myself, only 21 days were uh, with enhanced interrogation. Three weeks' worth of enhanced interrogation, and then another 170 weeks, working more or less with the government to prevent the next series of attacks. That's what KSM did. So uh, the way Feinstein and her crew put that report together, uh, I think they just poked their finger in in the CIA's eye, really, for political purposes.
0: Do you want that full report released so that you can rebut it? Or do you fear that it will foster more false narratives?
1: Well, I think what, I think, a balanced view of it, I think, would be, would be appropriate. You know, I, I had said before when this report came out that the truth lies somewhere between what Feinstein and her, has in her report and what those people who just blindly, uh, uh, endorse everything that happened, uh, during those times. Because if you, if you've read my book, then you know that some things happened that shouldn't, have, uh, shouldn't have happened. Some horrible yep. things happened that we yep. reported. So I'm going to get part, to it. Yep. From my perspective, uh, I, I don't. If they release that report, it's actually good for me. And the reason it's good for me is it will identify all of those other people who were doing things uh, that were outside of the left and right limits of what the Department of Justice uh, had authorized. Because Dr. Jessen and I, uh, uh, we stayed with what the Department of Justice had authorized. We didn't do those other things, and in fact, we reported those things. But if you read her. Uh, uh, executive summary, which has uh, been redacted and, and portions of it declassified, every place where we've reported it, they don't mention our, us by pseudonym. Every place where they can somehow smear us, they they mention the pseudonym. So from my perspective, it wouldn't be that bad to have the thing released. I'm
0: already ahead of myself. I want to ask one more preliminary question and then get into the, the text of the book itself. I'm surprised you were allowed to write so much. Speak to the vetting process of your brand-new book.
1: To be honest with you, I was shocked by it, too. It took them a year to clear the book, uh, but when I I gave them the uh, final manuscript for them to review uh, in August of 2015, uh, uh, and then it wasn't returned for months, right? But I had gone through some stuff before that, and they, they actually made... What for them is remarkably few changes. I think there were only forty-nine or fifty single word changes. I mean, they were uh, they were surprisingly responsive to it. But the way you write a book for the CIA is you have to first write a proposal, which they get to redact if they want to, and then you have to. Uh, write the book itself, the manuscript itself, and give it to them and they suggest changes and then all the notes and all the copies and everything else that you had up to that point has to be destroyed or turned over to them and uh, and then eventually they clear it, and it goes to galleys, and you know you know how it is but each each step of the way they get a hack on it
0: so Another important point, I think, that needs to be said is that you didn't go looking for this assignment. Doctors Mitchell and Jessen, you're actually together in my hometown in the spring of 2002 when you get a phone call. Why did you get that call? What was your background? Again, the narrative is that that you had no experience in this regard.
1: Right. Well, I go into my experience uh... perhaps more than some of the reviewers care for in the book but essentially what happened is dr jesson and i had been asked by the cia because of our resistance to interrogation training, to look at a, man, um, a resistance to uh, interrogation manual that Al-Qaeda was using and other terrorists was using called the Manchester Manual. And we looked at that strictly from a resistance to interrogation perspective, and we uh, listed what they were likely to look like when they were using these techniques and then suggested some countermeasures that were consistent with the Geneva Conventions which is one of those things that gets lost in the press. And uh, when they captured Abu Zubaydah, uh, the CIA called me back and sent me out with the interrogation team to monitor Abu Zubaydah's interaction with the CIA interrogators and the FBI and tell them which uh, resistance to interrogation techniques he was employing.
0: Do you have the book handy? Yes. Can you you turn to page uh, 68? You, you take us in this book in the room. You put us there with you when the waterboarding is being carried out. If you're on page 68, go to the paragraph that begins, Bruce poured the water, and, and read it aloud.
1: Sure. Bruce poured the water out of a one liter plastic bottle, and I controlled the duration of the pours by standing at the top of Abu Zubaydah's head, raising and lowering a black cloth to cover his face. When I lowered the cloth, Bruce was to pour. I would watch the guard count out the seconds. When I raised the cloth, Bruce was to stop immediately. The legal guidance said we could pour for 20 to 40 seconds, allow the person to breathe unimpeded for three or four breaths, and then lower the cloth and pour the water for another 20 to 40 seconds and so on for 20 minutes. That would have been one waterboarding session with multiple applications.
0: And somewhere else in the book, you dispel the notion that the way this took place was you'd waterboard, you'd say, tell us what we want to know. Waterboard again, demand information, waterboard. That's not the way it works.
1: No, the point of of, of the Water Board really was to put them in a difficult situation and then give them a way to escape from that situation by answering questions. And not by necessarily answering the full question that we were asking, but rather just by cooperating with us. You know, when we were waterboarding them, nobody was yelling. Nobody. I mean, we didn't waterboard anybody, asking them about where Bin Laden was. Unlike what it says in Zero Dark Thirty, you know uh, what we were doing was, I was the one who attacks was primarily... against America. Say again?
0: Attacks against America. You wanted to know only about the ticking time bomb cases.
1: Exactly. We were waterboarding people because we knew that. Hambali we didn't know it was Humbali, but we knew that there was a second wave of attacks with targets in Los Angeles, Chicago, and Seattle. Uh, and also the CIA had had uh, credible evidence that uh, Osama bin Laden had met with the Pakistani scientists who were passing out nuclear technology to these rogue states, and the Pakistani scientists had said, "You know, the difficult part is getting the fissionable material." and Osama bin Laden had said, "What if we've already got it?" And so there was this tremendous amount of pressure inside the building to stop this upcoming wave of catastrophic attacks. And by then we also knew that uh, that uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the mastermind behind 9-11, had other people on the ground inside of the United States. There are two ta- attacks that people poo-poo, um, but I'll just mention them. Um, one of his plans... He, First off, he thought it was going to be handled by, like, a law enforcement matter, and he would have a lot of time to get off another attack. And his plans really were to have these small harassing attacks that uh, used up our resources and and interfered and distracted from the the search for him. So he had a guy on the ground uh, who had a gas route. The guy had a route up and down the eastern coast of the United States delivering gas to gas stations. This guy worked for... uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was trying to perfect a bomb that he could slide that that this man could slide down during his gas route that they could control with cell phones so that they could randomly set off these bombs as people were uh, in rush hour traffic trying to get home by the same token he, there was uh, there was another attack where he wanted to Cut the cables on suspension bridges, and that gets kind of poo-pooed sometimes in the press. But I spent the first six years of my life as a bomb tech, as a, as a bomb disposal guy on a bomb squad. And I can tell you, they make, they make commercially a uh, device for cutting that that uses an explosive shape charge, and they will cut those cables. So uh, those were very real attacks that were live at the time that we were trying to to prevent this.
0: In the case of the waterboarding of Abu Zubaydah, you say that he threw up undigested beans and rice. Quote, it was an ugly sight. Abu Zabaida had beans and rice stuck to his face and in his chest hair because the fluid around his lips was kind of thick. It bubbled as he breathed in and out. We wiped it off with a hood and waited what seemed like a long time to see if medical personnel were going to intervene when they didn't. And when we were sure Abu Zubaydah was breathing properly, we did one or two more short pours so that he didn't get the idea that a dramatic display would stop the procedure, and you go on and on and tell us all about this. I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, I don't know how you were able to sustain yourself going through the process. You say that after some of these sessions with Dr. Jessen, you'd go for a long walk, and you'd question one another on the propriety and the ethics of what you were doing.
1: That's true. You know, the, when I say a short pour there, I mean about three seconds. I don't mean 20 seconds. The thing that you and I have, have sort of skipped across is that during that first waterboarding session, within the first two or three minutes of waterboarding in Zubaydah, I realized that 20 seconds is too long. So the average amount of time, the average amount of time that we poured water uh, and that was checked by an attorney who watched the tapes, was about eight seconds. So many pours that were less than three, a few that were more, just two pours that were twenty seconds and one poor that was forty seconds. But back to what you were asking me about how we handled it it was a It was a moral struggle for both of us and and in the end there's this sort of in the in our country because we have these civil liberties there's this sort of unwritten assumption that these guys who are not U.S. citizens have the right to protect this information and that somehow that right supersedes our moral obligation to save lives. And uh, Bruce and I talked about this quite a bit, and ultimately I decided that there was nothing in my ethical code or my sense of morals that would put the temporary discomfort of a terrorist in front of saving possibly hundreds, maybe thousands of lives. Because remember, we only waterboarded to stop catastrophic attacks. We didn't waterboard to find people.
0: And when you did speak up, you were called a pussy. Let me let me read again from, this is page 115. I watched the chief interrogator use a variety of physically coercive measures on al-Nashiri that I believed, were not on the list of approved techniques. They included the two stress positions discussed earlier, dousing Al Nashiri with cold water while using a stiff bristled brush to scrub his ass and balls and then his mouth and blowing cigar smoke in his face until he became nauseous. What did you do in reaction to this and other things that you saw that you thought were problematic?
1: Well, the first thing I did is stop the interrogation. And uh, since, uh, and if I can quote the, the, Person that I called the, the new sheriff, who was actually the chief of interrogation for the rendition, detention, and interrogation program, he told me to get the fuck out and, and said that uh, he would have the guards restrain me. And uh, he, earlier, he had told me that he had learned his interrogation technique from South, the Latins in South America during the uh, anti communist times and that he really didn't feel compelled to follow the Justice Department. Now, Having said that, as soon as the brass back home found out about that, they, you know, they told him to get his act together and quit doing that or they would get rid of him. But when I got back home, I went to his boss and said, hey, you know, they held me against my will. They wouldn't let me call back. They wouldn't let me do my job. Uh, and uh, the a man who was dying of cancer and wanted to fight up right up to the end, I go over this in detail in the book, yep, came in and said you know that i shouldn 't have been involved because I was some sort of liberal bleeding heart pussy and, and I thought, I just waterboarded two people for you guys. How can you possibly think that uh, uh, just because I want to follow the rules that the justice Department said was legal that i 'm somehow pro terrorist and Uh, It got heated, and then his boss asked him to leave. But they, Dr. Mitchell, yeah, go ahead. I was was just going to say that the brass, as soon as they found out, did what was appropriate.
0: Uh, how do you know when it's too much? In other words, I, I read intentionally, I wanted to, to my audience to hear Abu Zubaydah's waterboarding which, in which you participated versus what I just read res, regarding al-Nashiri. Is it, you know, to quote Potter Stewart, is it like pornography? You know it when you see it. What differentiates those two that one you thought was suitable and the other unsuitable?
1: Well, it's a little bit like, when Bruce and I did it, what we were trying to accomplish was a little bit like a dental phobia in the sense that uh, the time that people try to get out of the go, going to the dentist when they're deathly afraid of the dentist, not that the terrorists would be deathly afraid of us, but, you know, people who have true phobias is just before they open the door to the dentist's office. And so what we uh, uh, surmised was that. The time that they would start providing actionable intelligence wasn't on the waterboard board, or you know, wasn't in some other uh, situation that was distressing. It was before the next session, and so before we started every session, uh, we would we would ask them without any use of, of harsh measures or rough measures to answer a question that we had asked them the day before. So uh, we it's called a bridging question, and and once the interrogation was over, let's say I wanted to find out where you bought your tie. I would at the end of the interrogation, I would say the next time you see me i 'm going to ask you where you bought your tie if I know you don 't know everything you don 't know where it was a manufacturer, but you do know something, and if you tell me something about it, then this won 't happen again and so what we found out is that as as the uh, pretty quickly after about seventy two hours uh, he started offering up information that the uh, that the uh, subject matter experts because keep in mind we had doctors and psychologists and senior cia people and all kinds of guards and all these folks involved in this thing it wasn't like uh... you know twenty four um, but he started offering up information that the subject matter experts the targeters who actually find and, and capture or kill these guys thought was useful so we started dialing back the uh, uh, course of pressure and started switching to social influence techniques as quickly as we could.
0: I promise I'm not giving it all away for free. Just one or two more, if I might. The book is titled "Enhanced Interrogation: Inside the Minds and Motives of the Islamic Terrorists Trying to Destroy America." The author is Dr. James Mitchell. Uh, relative to KSM, because you spend a lot of time talking about KSM. Relative to waterboarding him, you say the second thing KSM did was somehow open his sinus passages and let the water enter through his nose and pour out of his mouth as fast as we poured it on the cloth. I didn't know how he did it. It looked like a magic trick. Was he trained to be able to deal with waterboarding?
1: I don't think so. I think he had some sort of sinus problem or something. I don't have any idea. All I know was that he, uh, he, I mean, he didn't like it. But it didn't bother him either. You know, we had a we had a, I, I can't remember whether it was a WMD expert or or some other Al Qaeda expert there watching that waterboarding in the room with us. And uh, the, uh, we wanted to ask them something. We stepped out of the room. He fell asleep on the waterboard while we were outside in the hall talking. It, uh, I, it, 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 it's the here's the problem. The problem is people are too over focused on the techniques. We waterboarded 3 people. I waterboarded almost that many attorneys when they were trying to decide whether it was legal or not. You know, so the over focusing on the techniques, the techniques is not what gets you the information. What gets you the information is the social influence things you use once the techniques get them looking for a way out. So that Well, and that
0: was and that was my fi- my final observation because I think this is what will floor the audience. That has been listening to Dr. Mitchell thus far. You read books. You worked out. You played basketball. You watched movies. There was there was a lot of social cooperation that ensued after all the nasty stuff was over.
1: Yeah, like I said, uh, uh, KSM had 21 days of nasty stuff, and then after that, the CIA had no vest. Uh, he since he's cooperating to some extent now. He didn't. Tell the complete truth all the time, as I explain when it comes to the courier in my book but uh, we knew what that meant. Anyway, the CIA has no interest in keeping him in some loud music, uh, isolated things, uh, basically in a hellhole. The CIA ha- had uh, had a vested interest in keeping him cooperating with him. So, he, I mean, he got to read religious books. He, he You know, he got to watch TV and uh, recorded stuff, not the, you know, like soccer games, that sort of thing. I mean, they, they got to play board games. At one point, they got to eat with each other. You know, it was not, it was not uh, It was not a federal max prison.
0: Final question for, for Jim Mitchell. So Donald Trump says General Mattis has told him he can do better with a couple of beers and a pack of cigarettes, and you say what?
1: Well, I've had a little practical experience with the worst of the worst, you know, the hardened guys. And so the question that I would ask General Mattis is... What would you do, sir? You know, I got a lot of respect for you. You're a hell of a warfighter. What would you do if you were captured by our enemies and our enemies wanted you to provide information that could be used to kill Americans or capture Americans? Are you going to give that up for a pack of Marlboros and a Miller Lite? I don't think so. The difficult task that President-elect Trump has, really, to deal with is what does he do when there's another series of credible intelligence reports that suggest some catastrophic attack is going to uh, occur in the united states they've caught somebody and that person is good at keeping secrets and motivated to uh... keep them to himself too much political correctness in that situation because i'm telling you the army field manual won't work on those people And tea and sympathy didn't work on Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. We're going to be standing on the moral high ground, looking down into a smoking hole that used to be several city blocks.
0: Dr. Mitchell, thanks for your time. I uh, appreciated the book. Learned a great deal.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on.
0: That's Dr. James Mitchell. The book is called Enhanced Interrogation, Inside the Minds and Motives of the Islamic Terrorists Trying to Destroy America. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on SiriusXM's XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live
1: weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app.
0: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. A new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.